We're doing a four-part series on the book of Titus, and uh, today is part two, uh, entitled The Real Thing. You'll see the notes, uh, the insert in your bulletin. One side is the sermon notes, one side is uh, some further notes and some questions for our uh, small groups for this week coming, and we're all together digging into the book of Titus. Last week, we talked about uh, just the first four verses, the intro, the prologue to Titus, and uh, we're talking about a faith that grows. This was last week, just a, a quick recap. We talked about a faith that grows, that we are to have a growing faith, we're to have a growing knowledge of the truth, and we're to be growing in godliness, and uh, we looked at that last week, and When we have those things we talked about, or I talked about, but when we have those things, they will lead to hope, but not just hope. What kind of hope? Confident hope. Yes. Help me out. Hope that lasts. Yes, it's true, but I was looking for the word confident. Do you remember? All right. Confident hope. When we have these things, when we're growing in faith, growing in knowledge of the truth, Growing in godliness, it gives us hope. Not just we hope that spring is coming or we hope the weather is good. No, that's not the kind of hope that we have. We have confident hope, both, for, both now and for all of eternity. And, and we talked about this natural progression and that our faith is to grow. And that's how, that's how the book of Titus begins. We're going to look at the rest of chapter 1 today. And so the rest of chapter 1 is, is Paul is encouraging Titus to find leaders for the house churches in every town around Crete. Crete was a fairly big island. It was, a, it was sort of a narrow island, I think 30 to 50 miles wide, but it was about uh, 250 miles long, give or take. It was a fairly uh, big island, and there was lots of ports. It was, it was a, a key island for... Um, for shipping, and uh, it, it was just a busy, busy place. We talked about how the Cretans were famous for being, what? Treacherous, liars, violent, sexually immoral, all these things. That's what the Cretans were. So Paul, Paul is encouraging Titus to find leaders for these house churches that are scattered all throughout the island. And... Um, But he says, listen, the the leaders that you are going to put in place on the island of Crete in the house churches, they have to be the real thing. They've they've got to be real. And it wasn't going to be the easiest job for Titus to do because there was a lot of fakers around. There was a lot of false teachers. There was a lot of people that were trying to get leadership over, over a church for money and for power and prestige. They weren't in it for the right thing. They were conning people. They were, they were just evil, money-grubbing, money-loving, and, and on and on and on and on it goes. And so he was saying, you've got to make sure that you get people who are the real deal. And it's not going to be easy. You're going to deal with opposition Titus was going to deal with a ton of corruption, and he has to have the insight and the ability to determine, is this person the real thing, 
Or is this person just putting on a mask and faking it? And so he, he, he has this big job to do. See, these, he's got to take care. He's, he's got to take great care to stop and to silence all these false teachers that are misleading people and turning them from the real freedom that they should have in Jesus and binding them up with legalistic rules and laws. See, these young churches that were all over Crete, they, were, they weren't properly organized. They were young. They were, they, they were fresh. They were new. And they were in bad need of good leaders and good teaching. It was critically important that Titus get this right. It, 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 he had to get this right and see to it that the good work would continue because all the seed, all the work that Paul and him had done before, it, it was going to be lost and destroyed and stolen by the enemy if they didn't get in there and get the right people in the right places. So he has this, so Titus has this big responsibility that he has to do all this. And Paul gives him a list of things to look for in potential leaders. And so uh, put up for me Titus 1, 5 to 9. So this is what he says. But I left you on the island of Crete so that you could complete our work there and appoint elders in each town as I instructed you. An elder must live a blameless life. An elder is a, is a, is a word that's used many times in the Bible. It, it can mean a lot of things, it, it, but it's more like pastor, uh, head over the church, a church leader, that kind of a thing. So an elder must, must live a blameless life. He must be faithful to his wife, and his children must be believers who don't have a reputation for being wild or rebellious. An elder is a manager of God's household, so he must live a blameless life. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. He must not be a heavy drinker, violent, or dishonest with money. Rather, he must enjoy having guests in his home, And he must love what is good. He must live wisely and be just. He must live a devout and a disciplined life. He must uh, have a strong belief in the trustworthy message that he was taught. Then he will be able to encourage others with wholesome teaching and show those who oppose it where they are wrong. So back in the days in a male-dominated culture, right? So he's talking about male leaders in particular here. But the standard, the standard is, is really the same in the sense of the standard for church leadership should be high, don't you think? It should be high, and it should be kept high. And it shouldn't change depending on location or time, meaning those qualities right there are good qualities even 2,000 years later. Someone said amen, right? So... The, the same principles hold true in any circumstance for any church leader, any pastor, any believer in Christ, right? That the standard is the same. The principles are there. Paul gave almost, by the way, the exact same instructions to Timothy uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And Timothy, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, those three letters are all sort of intertwined together. They're like pastoral epistles that Paul was writing to two young pastors, Timothy and to Titus, encouraging them and telling them what to do and helping them and getting them on the right track and giving them things uh, that they needed to keep in mind. And uh, 
So when you look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, you'll find that the instructions he gives to Timothy for uh, the pastors and elders and church leaders are almost identical to what he says to Titus. Now, Timothy was in a big place. He was in Ephesus, and Titus is on a little island. And so it just uh, I'm just saying that to say that the principles hold true. He wasn't saying to Titus, these are the principles for your island. Oh, and Timothy, these are the principles for big cities. So if you're in a little town, it's different. Or if you're on an island, it's different. No, the principles are the same. Here's what they are. And he goes ahead and he gives them to him. So the first one, he says, is blameless. He says, an elder or pastor, church leader must be blameless. Now, that's a difficult word. Just think about that. Do you want to walk around saying you're blameless? Right? It's a difficult word in the sense of how, our, how we understand it. But understand it this way. It, it wasn't Paul saying the church leader must be perfect or the church member must be perfect. It was, it was, it was really about living a life above blame or, as we say, above reproach. Right? You've, you've heard that phrase before. That this is not a man or a person where controversy and accusation continually follows them around, right? That when you hear, right, when you hear constant negative, constant accusations, constant controversy surrounding this person, that this is not a positive thing. This person must live in such a way that even when blame and accusations come, people don't believe it. You with me? So when you say, Oh, well, that pastor so-and-so, I heard he was sleeping with the secretary. You go, no, he wasn't. That's nonsense. I know him. And he wouldn't do that, right? This is blame and accusation will come. But the, but the church person, the church leader, the pastor in that sense must not, of course, he's not, it's not about being perfect, but it's really about living above reproach. That controversy and accusation and these things don't cling, don't, don't follow us. It's someone who has a good reputation, someone who's committed to living a godly life. And that's, uh, that's, I think, a good basic understanding of that word blameless. Next, he says, faithful to spouse and family. So the, 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 the elder must have, the Christian leader, the Christian must have his personal life under control. That's what he's saying, right? So a person's character, you know this is true, A person's character is better revealed at home mm -hmm, than it is out in public, okay? Than it is even at work. uh, Your character is is pretty clearly seen at home. And a person who's doing a good job at home has, Paul is saying, has the ability to do well in other areas of leadership, right? They got it together. He's the real deal, right? Paul says the church leader is a manager of God's household. He's, he's managing something. It's a position of trust, right? So it makes sense that the leader's house is in order. You know this as well as I do. For any area, any, any person, right? Chaos at home will generally lead to chaos in your workplace, right? Chaos in the, in, in the, in the life of a church leader will eventually cause some instability at the church, it, it, it just is, and it just works that way, right? So he says, 
the, the person must be faithful to their spouse and, and faithful to their family and doing a good job of managing that. And if, they, if they're doing a good job managing at home, then there's, a, there, there's a, an awful good chance that he'll do a real good job managing uh, the church. And so he says that. Third, he says they shouldn't be, there's a bunch of nots, so negative things that they should not be, right? So he says arrogant. They shouldn't be arrogant. That's probably a good basic thing, right? Not arrogant. Like pride is such a pitfall for leaders. Do you understand how difficult it is? It's, and, 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 and it seems to me that the higher people rise, the more of a temptation it is, right? It's, as they say, right, ultimate power corrupts, right? Uh, or absolute power corrupts absolutely. And pride is such a pitfall for leaders. It was, by the way, the cause of Satan's downfall, right? It was the cause of Satan's downfall, and it will have the same effect on us, on me, on you. Pride is a, I call it a God blocker. It, 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 it stops God. It's a God blocker. God actually says he hates it. There's not a lot of things that God says he hates flat out like that. He hates sin, but he, but he says he hates pride. So it, it's a God blocker. Humility is, is an open door for the Spirit of God to come into our lives. Pride closes the door. It disgusts God, and he walks away from it. And this is a giant pitfall for leaders. It's important to be someone who clings to humility and runs away from pride. If you're going to be a leader in the church, if you're going to be just a good believer, pride is something that we must deal with. He says, next, he says, not quick-tempered. So, This isn't about righteous anger. This isn't about somebody getting angry at sin. No, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the anger that's usually directed against people, right? That that this kind of thing, someone who loses it like that, will never, it's never going to promote unity. It's never going to promote love. It's never going to help develop others to live Christ-like. Someone who's quick-tempered, who's teacup is full and one little thing and it spills out like this kind of a thing, you've got to deal with it, right? It it adds tension to our relationships. It adds awkwardness to the church and to every interaction, interacting with people. Uh, In fact, I read this week, someone said, um, and I laughed, someone said, temper is such a wonderful thing. It's a shame to lose it. I thought, that's actually good. Yeah, that's a good advice. Temper is such a wonderful thing. Keep it to yourself and don't lose it. Yeah, yeah. So he says, uh, so not quick-tempered. So we're in the not still. So not arrogant, not quick-tempered. Next he says, not a heavy drinker. We should talk about drinking someday, shouldn't we? Yeah. Oh, that was quiet. See that? We should talk about that one day. Not a heavy drinker. I want you to understand, when you, when you look at the next uh, uh, not quick-tempered, not a heavy drinker, not violent, you know what all those three sort of, for me, what popped out when I was looking at that list was they're all, they're all sort of, those three in particular are connected to self-control, aren't they? All of them. That the fruit of the Spirit 
right? One of them is self-control. That's supposed to be growing in us, as we heard last week, right? So quick-tempered, not a heavy drinker, right? So this is obviously a reference to self-control. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It needs to be growing. Heavy drinking, you know, we say drinking and driving don't mix. Well, drinking, heavy drinking and good leadership will never mix. Never has and never will. And so uh, I'll leave it there. But uh, he says not do, it's not, you know, and he's talking about, he's walking around the island of Crete, okay? And we're talking about the most, one of the most debauched places on the earth. And people were drunkards. They were uh, incredibly sexually corrupt. They have all these things going on. And he's saying to Titus, find somebody who's not like that. And so understand that it wasn't the easiest job for him to do. So he also says not violent, right? So anger, drinking, violence, they're sort of all self-control. They kind of intermix with each other. People drink, they get angry. Some people do anyway. And uh, quick-tempered people can be violent. You know, there was people, you ever met people who, uh, I remember in high school, particularly in high school, there was guys I knew and if they got angry, they, like they had a real short fuse, if they got angry, they were going to get violent. And I don't know if you met anybody. They wouldn't punch people. Well, maybe they did. I can't remember. It was 100 years ago. But what I do remember is lockers getting punched a lot and, and like bloody knuckles from people, you know, you know, failing the math test and just losing it on the locker. I was like, Locker don't care, man, and you're just going to walk away with bad hands, you know. So anyway, it, it, it seems that a lot of these things, these three things are sort of interconnected, and I think self-control is, uh, is an important thought with that. So a, a believer is controlled by the Holy Spirit, right? So it, it, we have to be growing in this area of self-control. In fact, the classic line is, and it actually applies here, we're lovers, not fighters, right? So that's who we are. So don't be quick-tempered, don't be a heavy drinker, don't be violent, and then, here's a good one, don't find somebody, find a church leader, find a pastor, find a, a group of people who can lead that church who are not dishonest with money, That is hard to find. See, financial integrity or the lack of it, it it actually exposes a great deal about a person's character. How we deal with money, it it shows deeply who we are. And it shows what we prioritize, huge. See, it's not just a modern-day problem. People think it's like televangelists, you know, asking people for millions of dollars and, you know, living in 20,000-square-foot mansions and all this stuff and get, you know. No, this has been going on forever, right? And he's saying, find somebody, find a group of people who are not dishonest with money, that they must have financial integrity. It's not just something that we're experiencing now, they were experiencing it all the way back then. That leaders who love money more than they love God are disqualified from being an elder in the church, right? So it's, it's been going on for a long time. 
when you think about loving money and all the issues that go with that, I mean, that's a whole sermon in itself, but loving money will pull a person in so many different directions. When all you want is money, when it's your number one priority, you'll find somebody, right, who gets a lot of things out of whack when money becomes their God, when money becomes their number one thing, when they are just so passionate about making money. It can pull you in so many different directions. You, you'll find people who will do whatever they need to do to get more and to get it quick, you know. And it always leads, it always leads to corruption. Somewhere down the line, corruption happens, right? And when, when financial uh, integrity is lacking in a church, it brings disgrace onto the name of Jesus. Amen? It, it's, it's wrong. And so he's saying it gives the church a bad name when you have a leader who's money hungry and whose focus is on that. It's wrong. Avoid those people. Find somebody who's not dishonest with money. It's important. So then he says, I'm going to skip through these because I want to keep going here. But he says, must be hospitable and love what is good. That's, that's a, a pretty basic thing. That uh, It's funny, you know, let me just say this about hospitality, just feeling inspired. Hospitality is like a lost art. Seriously. You know, when I grew up, and I'm old, but when I was young, way, way older than you, buddy, yeah, people were over at people's houses a lot. You'd have people over church, you'd have people after church, you'd go, you know, like, it just happened a lot, right? I feel like it's something that in the 21st century we're losing grip of. And, and this is why I'm encouraging us to get into small groups and they stay small and all this stuff because a small group is, yes, we're going to go through the material, but we have to learn, we have to get off our screens and learn how to interact with each other again. And we can't lose that, right? Paul is, Paul is encouraging Titus, like, this is important, right? Like, Christian people should be hospitable. Our doors should be open. People should feel welcome to come. And when they enter our home, it's a good time, not a bad time, you know? Like, we need that. And so, listen, some of us are more hospitable than others. That's true. Some of us have the gift of hospitality. That's true. So I'm asking you, exercise your gift. Don't think it's not important. It's a gift. It's a gift given to the church, and it's, it's important. And it helps connect people and tie people together. Hospitality must be a mark of a believer. I think it should be in us all. And so let's grow in that. Someone said amen. So you can invite me over anytime. Just saying. <laughs> uh, I'm only half joking. I'm, I mean it. <laughs> we got to stay connected. It's important. Okay, so he says you must be hospitable. Love what is good. Just loving what is good is not, is not just about Jesus and loving. It's just about loving good stuff. All right? When you find somebody who loves good food, loves good books, you know, just loves things that are good and rejects things that are evil and bad. That's just a, a good quality character person, right? Someone who loves what is good. Anything that's good, that's a good person. 
to spend time with. So must be hospitable, love what is good, must live wisely and just. I'll, I'll just leave that one alone. I think that's, that's uh, fairly straightforward. Uh, next, he says, must be devout and disciplined. Um, again, there's a lot to, to be said, but um, I do want to get home and get you home. But there's, there's a lot there, and this is why I want you to interact with it in your groups this week. And uh, talk, about, talk about this list. Talk about what's important to you. Talk about the things that you can improve on. Maybe the things that you think are more important than other things. And, and, and just have a lively discussion about, about this list. And I, I, I think you'll have some fun doing it. I read this week that character uh, or character weaknesses are like broken bones. Uh, that they both keep us from functioning at our highest capacity. Character weaknesses are like broken bones. They, they keep us from functioning at our, at our full capacity. They both need treatment, and they both need time to be made right. And so uh, have a look at this list, and I encourage you to, I encourage you to challenge yourself in, the, in these things. Next, he says, last, uh, put up for me Titus 1.9. He says, he must have a strong belief, and I don't want you to lose this one because this one's very important in the list. He must have a strong belief in the trustworthy message that he was taught. Then he will be able to encourage others with wholesome teaching and to show those who oppose it where they are wrong. This is important, very important. He says, Paul is finishing saying that the the leader, the pastor, the elder, the Christian must strongly believe in the trustworthy message that they were taught. That this is, it's, it's critically important that we cannot be tossed around by all the false teachings that people are coming up with. They've been coming up with crazy cockamamie stories about God since time began, right? And it's, it's not getting any better. It's only getting worse. And you can find crazy people saying crazy things. And we've got to understand that we can't get tossed around by things that are not true. So you've got to be strongly committed, strongly committed to the truth about Jesus, right? We must hold firmly to it. We can't change it. We can't water it down. We've got to hold to it. If it was good enough then, it's good enough now, is what he's saying. Hold to it. Paul's saying when you hold to the knowledge of the truth, you are able to do two basic things. You can encourage others with good, solid, honest teaching that will be a blessing to their lives. And you can clearly show people when or where they're going off track. We do it with gentleness and respect, but we still do it. Amen. That say, you know what, brother, let me explain that to you because I think you might have that wrong. And then you bring some better teaching and correction into an area that somebody is 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 going off track. Look at, he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he said, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons. Look what he says, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy, what kind of arguments? False arguments, right? We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God we capture their rebellious thoughts and we teach them to obey Christ. See, 
it's very, very important that we get that right. The best way to detect a counterfeit is to know the real thing, right? The best way to sniff out something that's fake is, is, is to know the real thing. The more you understand the genuine, the easier it is to spot the fake, okay? And yes, I know, I know what some of you are thinking. There are among great believers and good believers many disagreements on many different things. And one day Jesus will get us all straight because we're all probably wrong, okay? But here's the thing, right? What I'm talking about is core, right? We can, we can debate about Calvinism and Arminianism and what this means and what this means. It's, it, I'm talking about core issues. When we lose, right, or, or let somebody say Jesus is not the Son of God, He is not the Savior of the world. He is not the Messiah given to us. He did not die on a cross. He did not rise again. We're giving away what we can't give away. Amen? This is core that we must hold on to. At the end of the day, I am a sinner saved by grace. He loves me. God so loved the world that he sent his son. And if I believe, I will receive eternal life. We have got to hold that. And not let anyone throw us off track from that. This is the truth and knowing the truth. And it's important. So the the more we grow and understand the truth of God, the, the easier it will be to sniff out the fake. See, false teaching always will lead to bad living. Do you understand? Will always lead to bad living. And 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 knowing the truth, of course, leads to freedom. It leads to good living. It leads to righteousness and godliness, right? John 8, 31, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples. What? How? How do you know? If you remain faithful to my teachings, right? And you will know the what? And the truth is going to set you free, right? This is what we must cling to and not give up. So that's a great list uh, and, uh, and, a, and a great list that Paul gave to Titus to qualify people who were stepping up to lead churches. Now, the rest of the chapter, put up for me verse 10. He talks about now the false teachers to the end of the chapter. For there are many rebellious people who engage in useless talk and deceive others. This is especially true of those who insist on circumcision for salvation. They must be silenced because they are turning whole families away from the truth by their false teaching, and they do it only for money. Even one of their own men, a prophet from Crete, has said about them, the people of Crete are all liars, cruel animals, and lazy gluttons. Paul says, yep, it's true. (laughs) Doesn't deny it. It's good. It's real, yeah. So reprimand them sternly, and make them strong, to make them strong in the faith. They must stop listening to Jewish myths and the commands of people who have turned away from the truth. Everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure, but nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds and consciences are corrupted. This is what he says. Some uh, Such people claim they know God, but they deny him by the way they live. They are detestable and disobedient, worthless 
for doing anything good. Like, Paul, just speak your mind. Like, what do you really think, right? Because it's a little bit unclear what he thinks about them, right? Like, not at all, right? So it seems that false teachers had invaded the island of Crete, and um, they were plaguing all the new, uh, the, the new churches that were, uh, that were there all over the island. I, told, I said last week that there were Cretans present on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was given. 3,000 people were saved. Some of them were Cretans, and they went back to their island, and churches were begun. Paul was there visiting, etc., etc. But now he didn't, get a, he didn't get a chance. He said to, uh, to Titus, you must go there and finish the work that we started. So no one really knows exactly when Paul went or how long he was there for, but we know this, he didn't, he didn't finish what he started. And he was worried that the churches were going to, to fall prey to all these false teachers who were just a plague across the island. And so um, he sends Titus to finish the job. It seems to me that whenever God starts something good, the enemy is not far behind trying to destroy it, right? He's good at stealing, killing, and destroying. That's what the Bible says. And here, he's doing his work. Paul basically says three things, uh, just uh, to summarize. He, he says basically three things about these false teachers. One, he, he talks about who they were, uh, meaning their character, Right? This is the exact opposite of what he's looking for in a leader. He's saying who they were, uh, that they were rebellious. He calls them rebellious. They were not good people, he said. They're, they're, not, just, they're not just actually uh, good people or misled people who are teaching something wrong out of ignorance. This is not who we're dealing with. These people know that what they're doing is flat out wrong and goes against everything that the church stands for, but they're doing it anyway. What does that say to you about the character and quality of the person? They were people who would not come under anyone's authority. They would not listen to Paul. They were giving Titus a hard time. They had to be in control themselves. They would not submit to anyone or listen to anyone. So here's red flag, red flag here. It's a danger sign. Anytime you see any kind of a leader who will not come under authority, it's a bad sign. And there's a train wreck that's going to come if something doesn't change. You'll see it time and time and time again. It happens every time. It's not just for leaders. It's for all of us. We talked about accountability a few weeks ago. We all need it. It's, it helps us. It's not a hindrance thing. It's something that just keeps us going on the right track and places us where we need to be placed. And so these are people who just will not listen. And so he tells Titus, this is what they're like, Titus. They're useless talkers. They, they're, they're, they deceive people. They're good at talking but not at doing. And even what they say is useless. They were... They were just not good for anything, he said. That's a really harsh word. And put up for me verse 12. Just look, he says, the, the prophet from Crete said this about them. 
The people of Crete are liars, cruel animals, and lazy gluttons. He uses this word, yes, to describe all of Crete and the reputation that it had, but understand this. He's particularly assigning this to the false teachers, right? This is what he's saying. These these people are, are like a great example of this general statement that people say about Cretans, that they're liars, cruel animals, and lazy gluttons. This is exactly what these people are like, he's saying. So don't trust them. Get rid of them. Silence them. Stop them. It is crucial that we get good leaders in place, and these people must be replaced. So uh, Paul's applying these words especially to the false teachers. And look at verse 16 again. He says, such people claim they know God, but they deny him by the way they live. You see, a growing faith means growing in godliness. It changes our conduct. He's saying these people claim they know God, but they deny him by the way they live. They're detestable, disobedient, worthless for doing anything good. See, they cannot and will not be persuaded. They will not uh, accept the truth, and they therefore are unfit to do anything good. So this is who they were. he's, He's giving great insight into the character of the false teachers. Next, he says what they did. Um, He says, so this is what they were doing. They're teaching lies. They're turning whole families away from the truth. That's what he said. Uh, they're teaching Jewish legalism, stuff like you need to be circumcised to be saved. And they were talking about Jewish myths and pagans, and they would talk about Old Testament and genealogies and, and claim all these outrageous things to make themselves sound good, and it was a bunch of nonsense, right? Man-made rules and myths and stories and, and, and legalism up to your eyeballs. He said, this is what they're doing. And... and and, and they're turning, he said, they're turning whole families away from the faith, right? This is what they were doing. So next, he says why they were doing it. Look at verse 11. It says they must be silenced because they're turning whole families away from the truth by their false teaching. And here's their motive. Here's their motive. Read it, read it for me. Only for money. They do it only for money. So they're using religion to fill their pockets, right? They're using religion to get more business, to set themselves up to get rich. They're, who knows all the practices that they were doing, but Paul says it very clearly. They're turning people away and they're doing it for money. So it was dirty, it was wrong, and they have to be stopped. So Uh, they couldn't be corrected because they were corrupted, right? So this is the thing. They could not be corrected because they were corrupted. And I think this is sort of a synopsis of of how he feels about it. One, uh, uh, verse 15, put that up. It says, everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure, but nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds and consciences are corrupted. See, they weren't feeling guilty. They weren't feeling convicted about things they were doing. They were quite happy to continue to do it. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. Again, these are all sort of uh, two letters written to young pastors. Look what he says here. 
Now, the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons, right? These people are hypocrites and liars, and their consciences are dead. So these were not good people, and Titus is told to stop them and to silence them. And this is why getting good pastors in place was absolutely crucial. The only way to defeat a lie is to spread the truth, right? I don't know why lies seem to travel faster than truth. It's, 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 it's nasty, but, but sometimes that happens. But he's telling him, look, we're, we're, we, have to, we have to defeat these lies, and the only way we're going to defeat these lies is to make sure that we're spreading the truth everywhere. We've got to get good people in place. We've got to make sure they're teaching the right thing. We've got to help these people, and we've got to get these people out and shut them up now. And so he's saying it's, it's a very stern thing he's talking about here. So don't, don't miss that. It's super important to him. Some, now, I know uh, when I was, <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to wrap up right now, but when I was prepping this, and I'm just following the text, so I have to give you what the text says, right? And I know that the text is talking about elders, like uh, pastors, leaders of the church. And it, the, the thought hit me. I think there may be somebody in, uh, sitting there listening to me who's going to say, oh, yeah, but all that stuff applies only to pastors. You know, like the classic, you're paid to be good, right? <laughs> Write that down. That's a good one. You can talk about that one in that group, right? You're, you're paid to be good, but you know that that's nonsense, right? It's absolute nonsense. Don't ever think that the passage is just about pastors or church leaders. It clearly applies to everybody, especially those who are trying to grow in their faith and grow in godliness. Pastors are not the only ones who are supposed to be blameless. Pastors are not the only ones who are supposed to get their house in order. Pastors are not the only ones who are supposed to be honest with their money and growing in self-control. Pastors are not the only ones who should be hospitable and growing in wisdom and be devout and disciplined. It applies. Someone said yes. Right? You have to admit it. Okay? These standards are for every child of God. Each of us should be determined to live a life where our talk matches our walk. Do you understand? This is why I'm saying it's the real thing. He's saying, Titus, the only way we're going to go forward, the only way we're going to finish the work that God has started on this island is we've got to get people who are the real deal. We've got to stop people who just blah, 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 and then go out and live any which way they want. We've got to get people teaching the truth, living the truth, committed to the truth. Not perfect, but people when they fall, get back up, say sorry, make amends and say, God, teach me, help me. I want to live for you. That the integrity and the character of us is growing. That we are committed to be Christ-like. That we want to be Christ-like. That we want to deal with the issues in our lives and move forward and become better. 
This is important. And if it was important then, I'm telling you, it's more important now. People look at the church and say, these people go to church, but they walk out and live exactly the way I do. They do all the things I do. They, they are involved with all the nonsense, all the stuff. We are, how can we be difference makers if we are not different? Right? And this is the thing. We are peculiar people. We are salmon who swim upstream. We do not go with the flow. We swim upstream. Uh, that just came to me. Yeah, use that one too. Yeah. Listen, you, you can't go with the flow. The flow is going the wrong way. We are people that says, Holy Spirit, empower me. Strengthen me. Give me wisdom so that I can go against the flow. I can be countercultural. I can be the real thing that when I say, Jesus is in me, he's transformed my life. Watch how I live and I'll prove it. We lose so much when we blah, blah, blah. People don't care about how much you talk if your life doesn't back it up. And so he's saying, Titus, you've got to find people who are the real thing. Who are, yes, they're not perfect, but they are committed Men and women committed to live out the gospel, to stay true to the teachings of Jesus, and to be the the men and women who are transformed by the Holy Spirit, who are doing it, who are living it, who are honest and and integrous with their money and their lives and their family, that they aren't different here at church than they are on Tuesday morning at their house, that there must be consistency and faithfulness. There is no such thing as a Sunday Christian. It's nonsense. You either are or you aren't, as far as I'm concerned, right? If he's transformed us, then he's transformed us for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday too, right? So, That's pretty good preaching right there. I better let it go. You can use that in your groups. So, (laughs) but listen, it's, I got a little fired up there. Sorry. No, I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry. But, but it's true. You with me? We have to be people of the spirit, people committed to Jesus, people committed to being the real thing. I'm not perfect, but I'm committed to grow in Jesus. I'm committed to right my wrongs and to grow in faith to grow in knowledge of the truth, and to grow in godly character and godly living. This is who we are.